What's up, guys? Welcome into the Liberty Pool. I'm joined with my best bud and one of the most brilliant guys I know, Blake Batchelor, and I'm your host, Cole Williams. And uh, this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about probably the most pressing matter in our country in the last year and something that we felt when me and Blake talked this week that we didn't want to pass this opportunity up to really hammer the point home that the COVID lockdowns have destroyed, honestly destroyed our country and destroyed our economy more than anybody really thought imaginable in 2020. And they're going to try to spin the narrative coming out of this year that the lockdowns helped and they're going to hide some data and they're going to show you some cherry pick data that says maybe what they did was okay or what they did was helpful for, to the public. But we kind of want to illustrate in this podcast to our listeners that that's just not the case. Um, what do you think, Blake? Yeah, the spin's already started from the media and the government elites. I mean, from the states like California and New York that's been locked down harshly the whole time and had some of the worst rates in the country and trying to compare those to states like Florida with an aging population and where you would think the outbreak would get bad and not have it been as bad, even though the lockdown hasn't been as extreme. Yeah, that's exactly right. And funny enough, when I was uh, kind of doing a little bit of research to brush up on my statistical knowledge of the effects of the lockdown, I was looking at the Florida data compared to the New York data because those are probably loosely the closest two states population-wise and maybe density-wise that we can look at. And then not only that, but we're looking also at like the differences in the response by the leadership in those states. And, and there's just, there's a vast, really a vast difference in how the states handled COVID. One, let the fr- let freedom reign in that state and let the economy operate basically as it usually would. I mean, obviously Florida had some lockdown measures in the beginning before Governor DeSantis and other leaders decided that, right. hey, this is probably not the best way to go. But honestly, you see some harsh spikes in New York. But in Florida, you're just going to see a little bit of leveling off and some spikes here and there that just kind of corrects itself. And I, honestly... The conversation could be over there, Blake, because when when you, as a leader, elected leader, tell me, you know, us, that you're going to take our rights, the onus is on you to provide hardcore cold data that proves right. your point beyond a shadow of a doubt. And when, right. we, when we don't even see that, and conversely, we see Flor- like Florida doing much better in New York and California and Illinois and places like that. Honestly, the conversation could stop here about two minutes into the podcast, but we're really going to yep. get into it and hammer it home. Yeah. Like and, you said. Yeah. The data just proves everything they've done wrong, which the lockdowns to begin with weren't based on any type of evidence or data they had. That was just a classic, you know, the government's got to do something, so they're going to do the dumbest and most harsh thing they can and hope for the best. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, you know, Dr. Fauci comes out and he starts saying these things and that, and at first I'm saying, and obviously I, I naturally have an inclination to doubt authority because I guess that's how I'm hardwired, but I had family members and people I trusted and, and who have a very common sense view of the way the world works telling me, hey, hear it out. It looks like they're just doing two weeks to flatten the curve. And then we start seeing the goalpost moving. We start we, At first we, and I don't know if you remember this, I'm sure our, our listeners will, Dr. Fauci comes out and says, masks don't work. Stop buying yep. masks. The healthcare professionals need them. And in that statement, <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on it, that statement is a logical fallacy in and of itself, which we don't really have to get into. But And then immediately, once we get the surge, the beginning surge of people going into the hospitals down so the healthcare professionals get all their masks that they need, 
then we have states mandating that you're wearing masks outside and putting yep. your mask on in between bites at a restaurant. And you just start seeing the goalposts moving and moving and moving. And here in 2021, we're seeing the goalposts continually moving and we waited for a vaccine. Now we, now we want 50% of the nation to get vaccinated. Now we want 75% of the nation to get vaccinated. And, and I feel the like kids. the goalposts, yeah, yeah. And the kids. Yeah. yeah it, ridiculous. And you just see goalposts just moving and moving. And you wonder why people are going insane. And you say, Oh, these crazy right wing people out in the street demonstrating and saying that their rights are being suppressed. And I hear a lot of leftists saying that it's not your right not to wear a mask. And I, I can agree with Republicans and conservatives on a, a good bit of issues. And this one, I certainly agree with them on. Yeah. Like I said, the onus is on them to provide evidence that their policies are working, and they're obviously not. The goalposts keep getting moved because their policies are not working, and they don't want to be proved wrong on the issue. Yeah. Going back to the beginning of all this, and I guess it was the beginning of last March, I was like a lot of people didn't know exactly what was going on. I could buy that this was something very serious and we need to take it serious and whatnot. So I was like, okay, if we need to do our best to stay away from each other from two weeks, that's fine. I was always against the enforced lockdowns just out of principle. But I think at the beginning when nobody knew what was going on, it was understandable to you know keep your distance and stuff. But as time went on, and it was obvious that a lot of it was BS. And not that people didn't die. A lot of people have died from this. But it was obvious that most of the population was going to be unaffected by it and needed to go back to work. And yet the lockdowns continued. The mask mandates continued. And even touching on the mask issue, like you said, with Dr. Fauci, when he was coming out saying, you know, masks aren't going to help with this virus. Let the professionals have them. You don't need them at home. I remember seeing that on the TV and even thinking, well, that doesn't make much sense. I mean, I've not checked the science on it, but it doesn't make sense that a mask wouldn't help. I'm not sure he's checked the science. Right. But, uh, yeah, but, I, yeah. Go ahead, Blake. And he, I'm sorry. He, he eventually admitted that he essentially lied the, to the public about the mask issue as a form of, you know, keeping the quantities available for nurses and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and how ridiculous was it that he didn't get put to the screws on that at all? That's another thing is, like, there was really no explanation for the lie. We just kind of moved on, like, yeah, this this guy lied to the whole entire nation and basically enforced the law by the word of his mouth, and it turned out to be a lie. He accepts that it's a lie, and we just move on from that. And no journalist put the screws to him, really, other than Fox News, and Fox News is kind of hard to be trusted when they are admittedly a... A right-wing journalist site so i mean that the whole thing is just i mean if ridiculous. you believe that that mask actually save lives which at this point the the science is dubious at best on general mask wearing but if you do believe that that means that dr fauci killed people by telling people they didn't need masks at the beginning of this thing if we want to go by their logic correct yeah uh, but but we don't we don't think logically and, and people can't come to those logical conclusions they just play mental gymnastics to justify the next thing they want to shove down somebody's throat and that's not for one side that that's in general for both sides we see that from both parties and both ideologies in america but especially obviously on the left on this issue in this country it's yep. been really bad in the last year and they've wrought chaos and havoc on our economic system and our public health system and everything else that we basically hold dear in america and it's it's been sad to see man uh, my brother he he graduated, didn't have a ceremony, didn't have any kind of trip. His baseball season got canceled for what? We find out that you're more likely to die from getting struck by lightning if you're in the age of 25 than dying from COVID. And my, and my yeah. brother couldn't play his last year of high school baseball for that. And I know in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge deal, but it means a lot, man. It, like, it, it really does. 
and, and right. who and who's to say that some some clown from wherever Fauci is from gets to make that decision for us? You know, yeah. and that and that's a larger problem with one city and one group of people controlling 350 million people in, in a, a larger area. That that's a discussion we're definitely going to have on another episode. Right. I mean, the COVID whole thing and the uh, response to it has been classic big government. And somehow people have come out of this thing thinking that it's more necessary than it was before. I don't I don't understand that thought process, but it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. And also, I'd like to point out and, and a place that you would think that some professionals and some policymakers would have arrived to earlier if we would have. Right. And, and we basically knew this about the coronavirus early on. If we would have protected and really spent our resources on the people who were really vulnerable to this disease, we could have kept the surge down in the hospitals anyway. Right. And we just didn't do that. And as a matter of fact, you see Cuomo, Governor Cuomo in New York, did the complete opposite of that, lied to his people about it, and is still lying. And the media is basically sweeping it under the rug. Well, that's their job. Yep, that is the job. Yeah. <laughs> Like, but, uh, like you said, yep. I mean, the government's incapable of taking targeted, like, effective approaches to anything. As always, I think Shapiro calls them a blunt hammer, which is a good uh, analogy. Yeah, because they really are. They can't do anything targeted, anything precise. It's either all or nothing with everything. Well, Sometimes that. it's targeted in the wrong way, like you said, with Cuomo putting COVID patients back into nursing homes, which is the very last place you need them anywhere. Yeah, and I, and just the fact and the dubious nature of Cuomo to not even admit that he was wrong on that, at the very least, admit to his people that he made a mistake. I could understand if he came out and said, I made a major mistake, I'm sorry for it, we're, we're working with scientists to get it right. I, I, Yeah, he made a mistake, it costed lives, but sometimes leaders do cost lives with their mistakes. But if he's open about it, and he's conscious about it, and he says we're going to work towards a better solution for this, that's not what's happening, dude. What's happening is is we're just pushing this narrative further. And like I said, this is the reason why we really wanted to get into this on this podcast is because that narrative is going to be pushed. And when we look in the history books 10, 15 years from now, that narrative is going to be pushed. And it's going to be pushed yep. that the lockdowns really saved our country. And it's just honestly not the case. Like I said, the conversation could have been over when you look at New York's graphs compared to Florida's or California's compared to Texas. Right. But obviously when the data gets swept under the rug and a hundred million people don't even know that, and more than half the country, I was reading some sort of study, aren't even close. When when they're asked what is the fatality rate of COVID, they're not even in the ballpark of what the fatality rate of COVID is. I don't know if you've yeah. seen some studies on that. It was some polling data, but it's just not even close because these people, it's not their fault. They're they're honestly not getting the data like like we are because we search for that data because we know we're right. probably not getting the truth from your CNN or your MSNBC or your New York Times, and these people, they, they don't necessarily understand that, and they, they're just, they're wildly off, and that and that shows in their voting record, and it shows in their activism. Right, yeah. I've seen similar stuff on, like, uh, street surveys asking people that are college age how likely they are to die from COVID out of 100, and they're saying, like, five out of every 120-year-old dies of COVID, and that's, I mean, I don't know how you even come to that. Uh, that's absolutely thought. ridiculous, man. Right. And, and this is not to say like, that, like you were saying earlier, COVID, I personally know people that died from COVID and yeah, is like too. obviously very sad. Obviously, we might could have done better and we could have done better in a controlled way to protect those people. But when you get down 
to brass tacks, man, people die every day from diseases, from car accidents, from and and you get to the philosophical question of what's the line we draw to protect people who are going to die versus people who are not going to die and suppress their freedom and suppress their economic activity because I I'm not sure that 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 line once you cross that departure is is kind of hard to find and it's it's getting gray so you know if we if we apply these principles of lock everybody in their house to protect people from covid and the left obviously believes that climate change is a bigger deal than covid and you extrapolate what they're what they're saying about covid the last year then based on their principles it would only make sense they they pursue an even harsher lockdown to protect us from climate change right I'm sure, yeah, I could see a lockdown based on, like, smog levels in Los Angeles or whatever else. And honestly, that would probably be more effective (laughs) than what we saw for COVID, if if we're being honest. I mean, uh, emissions did go down to some extent during the last year, and I guess that's a positive side effect for the horrific policies that we've seen out of our leadership in America this year. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Lowered some I, emissions at the cost of killing the entire economy. Yeah, of course, and Yippee. yeah, that's the balance. And not to get off of COVID too far, but if we want to talk about climate change and we say that yes, let's uh, let's lower our emissions and we're going to suppress the economy a little bit to do it, but let's uh, let's consider how many third world countries and second world countries have been lifted from poverty based on these emissions and this industrial. Uh, right. Uh, sophistication that we've seen in these countries that have lifted people from poverty, lifted them from diseases, gotten them vaccinations, and they've been more safe. And uh, humanity has really flourished in the last four centuries more than we've ever seen in history. Freedom has flourished, knowledge has flourished, literacy has flourished. And yes, some of that comes with the negative side effect of having emissions. And I, I'm a person that does believe that our industrial output does hurt the climate. And we can debate that. I'm not sure what you think about that. I do believe that, but you got to weigh that against, you know, human flourishing in other areas, like I kind of just pointed out. Right, because a lot of the missions uh, today, I mean, the U.S. does account for a big chunk of it, but India and China, which are essentially, they're not exactly uh, on the level of Western Europe or the U.S. as far as uh, um, progressive pro. Technological progress goes in human, I can't think of the word I'm trying to use. They're essentially third world countries with developing industries is what I'm getting at, which is why they put out so much emissions. I mean, what are you going to tell those people that they're going to have to live in the dirt and so that the earth doesn't uh, heat up an extra degree over the next hundred years? That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and it's just not, it's not a viable, it's not a viable option. Other countries are obviously not going to join in that, and that fantasy that Americans have when Americans can get their food at a moment's notice and their search for their next meal is whether they're going to go to Wendy's or McDonald's. And I am also talking about even the poorest among us have those options. Yeah. But I will say this in defense of China, which is a place I don't like, they have been taking steps to lower their emissions and doing a lot better on climate in the last few years. Not right. not saying that they do a good job. I'm saying they they are conscious of what they're doing and take that for what it right. is. But I've, well, I've as that. countries and people do what? Right. I was just saying, as countries and people get more wealthy and uh, raise people out of poverty, they have more uh, chances and opportunity to 
better the climate and whatnot. Yeah. I even think the U.S. lowered their, lowered their carbon emissions during the Trump presidency, even as he was repealing uh, different regulations. Yeah, and that's kind of the circle of life. You get a little bit more leeway and you get a little bit more, like I said, human flourishing. And, and, and you're not worried about basic needs anymore of your, your fellow countrymen. You're more worried about wants and desires. And you can you can maybe focus a little bit more on helping the climate. But we, right. <laughs> we kind of went down a rabbit trail there about climate change. But that's kind of, like I said, if you extrapolate their principles to climate change, that's a, it's a scary thought that yeah. according to what they believe we're probably going to be going that, down that road soon if we don't get this narrative out and stop the narrative yeah after the past year there's no reason they couldn't use it for climate change or some type of well they already use it for riots protests whatever or a bad flu outbreak in a certain area locking schools and people in their homes there's really no end to what the what the power they they have now yeah and uh a ridiculously scary thing about the last year to me and maybe the most scary thing to me is the utter willingness to put off one's rights and support or following a policymaker's guidelines or words or decrees or whatever you would call it it's just it's it's very scary in my opinion is, is that somebody immediately and without hesitation will listen to a leader and and be glued to the TV, wondering what are we going to do today? And it's just right. it's kind of a dystopia, to be honest with you. And and one of the endearing qualities about America is our distrust of leadership. And I feel like we we're kind of going down the wrong path here. Yeah, you would think after a year like we've had, it would be we'd have some optimism as far as distrusting leadership goes. But unfortunately, it seems to have been the opposite. I mean, you've got people running around with Dr. Fauci's face on their shirts, and they're making songs about Fauci and. I don't know. It's just, it's insane. Well, the, the, the COVID cult has a religious no. dogma to it. and It's definitely a cult. Oh, for sure. And it's, it's got, like I said, it's got a dogma to it. And, it's like the, and Fauci is their god. And they, they literally worship and hang on everything he says. And it, like I said, it's, it's incredibly scary that, that if you have somebody like Fauci who, to be honest with you, Fauci's probably not going to be <laughs> advocating people being thrown in or prison camps right. or anything of that nature. But when somebody comes up that is charismatic and does advocate that, it, like I said, on, for either side, it's scary that people will immediately go along with the narrative if they like a person. And a charismatic leader can really turn that energy into an evil place. Yeah, which I do think part of the, the Fauci worship has some beginnings in partisanship because, you know, Trump and the Trump Republicans were wary of him from the start, so that made the lefties love him even more and whatnot. The Trump Not that that's any type of any type of justification for how they've treated Fauci, but I oh, think that does not. play a part. Of course not. And and that's something I kinda wanted to talk about you. I'm mean, gonna talk to you about tonight is I, what do you see or what path do you feel like uh we're headed down this country. I know it's kind of an obscure question, but do you see any way that maybe I know me and you are libertarians and we're we're decentralized guys, but you know, me personally, I, I do care about this country a lot. I really do. I love it. And I I, I hate to see neighbors at their at the at each other's throat, man. And I, I'm just oh, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what what if you see any way that maybe the left and the right and the center and the fringes can come together without some sort of government decree and say, hey, 
we're going to work to a common good and work to actual public health and human flourishing in this country. Do you see that happening or you think we've crossed the line of departure? As long as this Republican-Democrat paradigm exists, absolutely not. Yeah. I, there's, there's, there's no way they're coming to any type of um, compromise on anything. I tend to agree with you. And, and the Trump rhetoric and then the anti-Trump rhetoric, man, it's, it's raised it by a magnitude that I don't think anybody was ready for. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah, I, I like just do what? I'm ahead. sorry. I'm sorry. What'd you say? I was just going to say, I do. I care about the culture and like you said, neighborhood treating other neighbors, right? It's just the partisanship on politicization, politicization of everything these days is just, it's ridiculous. You can't watch a ball game. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't do anything without somebody being down each other's throats over some geriatric billionaire in Washington, D.C., who's trying to control your life. Yeah, it's, I tend to agree with you, sadly. Um, I Honestly, it would, <laughs> I know this is crazy, but the only way I could even possibly see us coming together in any way is somebody like Joe Rogan be elected to president. I mean, somebody, or Elon Musk, and then neither of them would ever want to run for president. But somebody level-headed yeah. and maybe sees both sides of the issue and can think outside the binary streets of, well, the Democrats like this, so I hate it. And I don't think that's going to happen because I think once you've been groomed and you've been tested and you've been trusted by the establishment and you've gotten, you've worked your way up into the political discourse high enough to run for president, that's not a situation where you're going to find somebody like Elon Musk or Joe Rogan or somebody that's a good person who actually cares about unity and people coming together and not being evil to each other. Right. To break this thing up, we'd need somebody who is like what everybody thought Trump was in the beginning, not what he actually ended up being. Yeah. You know, the, the guy that was going to break all the walls, drain the swamp, kill the establishment, which I think he genuinely tried at times, but at the same time, like we said in the last podcast, appointing people like John Bolton, uh, Wilbur Ross, uh, all the others, he, he didn't Bannon. drain the swamp. Steve Bannon. Yes, that's another good example. Yep. Yeah. He, yeah, I agree with you. He, I would go out on a limb and say Donald Trump made our political climate a lot worse than before he came in, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would have ever said that before 2016 that it could have gotten worse yeah. with Barack Obama as the president and the absolute partisanship that stemmed from that. The first black president getting elected, and then him being an outspoken liberal, which turns out he was actually an establishment Democrat, but yeah. the partisanship that abounded from the Obama presidency rolled and snowballed into the Donald Trump presidency. And now, now we're in a spot where a pipeline gets hacked and it's Joe Biden, and Chuck Schumer's fault. Right. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. The Trump story starts with Obama, if not farther back. Yeah, of course. But honestly, you could say it starts with Bush and, the economic collapse and the Patriot Act and then yeah. roll that into the um, the Wall Street protest and then here we are man it's, it's gotten so it's gotten so partisan and out of control you you have people like diverging into violence in the streets for people for, for leaders who could literally care less about them and they are getting yeah. their faces bashed in for those people and then immediately those leaders will turn their back right around on them 
and say, yep, go to jail, buddy. I don't care about you. They don't say a word about them. Uh, it's, it's, it's sad, dude. Yeah. And I, I really do get the initial appeal of Trump. I mean, the media has bashed and lied to people for years. The Democrats have bashed and lied to people in years. Republicans have done the same thing. They just pay a little more lip service to the to the what ended up being Trump's base. But at some point, you had to realize Trump wasn't actually there for you, even if he talked like he was going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's naive to believe anybody in Washington is there for you, but I could have seen, like I said, the initial appeal of Trump. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, but if we want to get down to brass tacks, Donald Trump is a, a reality TV show billionaire real estate mogul who's slept <laughs> with porn stars, had three wives, he talks junk to everybody, he's never really gotten along with anybody, and He's always been selfish and about himself, and I'm not sure why people worship him like he's some sort oh, yeah. of cult he's leader. He's a terrible person. Yeah, I mean, honestly, he really is, and it's 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 a little bit crazy to see the the worship coming from the religious right to somebody yeah. like that. The evangelical evangelical reaction to Trump was the, the craziest. Yeah, that's yeah, person. that's wild. I agree with you. And like you said, somebody with multiple wives who's cheated on everyone, paid off porn stars to keep quiet. I mean, I understand the lesser of two evils argument, which I'm tired of personally, but I understand it. But at some point, you've got to have some respect for yourself and say, you know, this just isn't going to work. Yeah, but at the same time, I'll, I'll paint you this question. For somebody looking for, or to somebody looking to get out of the trap of the lesser of two evils, you look to the Libertarian Party, which is an absolute three-ring circus right now, and it's like, who do I vote for? The Green Party? No. So I'm going to vote for Donald Trump, or if you lean left, I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And you hold your yeah. nose all the way to the polling station, you cast your little vote, and then you feel like crap on the way home. Yeah. Like I said, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I do too. And I, 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 Trump did some good things. Trump did some bad things. I mean, you've been critical of him. We're going to stay critical of him, but we're going to I'll tell you the things he did good, and I'm not shy about it. Just like I'll tell you the things Joe Biden does good. I'm very, I'm going to be very critical of Joe Biden because I think he's done an absolutely horrific yeah. job running our country in the first what four months he's been in. Absolutely horrific. Yeah. But yeah. Worse than even I imagined. Yeah, somehow. me too. To be honest with you, I, I, I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it's been. But yeah, I, the, the COVID man, the lockdowns have been, and and not to mention going back into the lockdowns, which is kind of the point of this episode. We haven't even seen like the recourse effects of the lockdowns years later when you're seeing people dying yeah. from cancer that could have easily been prevented this year when you couldn't get to a hospital and you couldn't get yeah. treatment and you couldn't get detection and you're going to see people dying from cancer. And I was actually looking up some statistics and the WHO estimated that 500,000 more people than average are going to die from tuber or will end up dying from tuberculosis in 2020. So, yeah. usually tuberculosis hits marginalized and colored minority communities as a whole. Yeah. So that's the, the WHO actually stated that, but that's kind of common knowledge. And for people that say they care so much about marginalized communities, the left has really gone silent on issues like that. Or in Africa, polio is making a rise again because vaccines aren't getting to Africa. And Southern Europe and Western Asia. And and you don't hear a peep out of the left because it's not part of the narrative. And and, and it just comes down to these people, it, at least at the top. I, I truly believe and I, I tend to give people their best intentions. When people on the left, like the foot soldiers on the left, I think they care about people and maybe they're a little misguided. But the people right. at the top do not care about marginalized people at all. It's a talking point. 
it's a voting base. That's all they care about. Yep. And that's it's, absolutely right. Yeah. And it's it's ridiculous that people can't see that, but it's also ridiculous that Republicans can't see that Donald Trump is not their Lord and Savior who cares about each and every one of them. So yeah. it's the dichotomy we were talking about. The founders warned us about the two-party system and how ridiculous it is. And we, we really are in a circus. We're in a banana republic now where our federal and state police agencies are being used for political reasons. And I, honestly, we're, we're entering into like a, a Weimar Republican type era. And that's a little scary if you've read a history book. And yeah. we're seeing mass inflation now, which is being blamed on Joe Biden by people who don't know much about economics. But we can get into that later. And yeah. like I said, we're, we're setting the stage for somebody charismatic to come in and say, hey, let's come together and do some evil stuff. And I, that that bothers me. Yeah. But touching on, I think you mentioned something about state agencies. I didn't want to get us out of this podcast without pointing out that the federal government hasn't been responsible for a whole lot of these lockdowns we've seen. It's been the state governments. I mean, the federal government was promoting it the whole time. But at the end of the day, it was these governors and state representatives that have locked people in their homes. Yep. And even local governments. So, yep. I mean, I, I, am, I am for decentralization. I would love to see a big secessionist movement and whatnot. But... You can't excuse the state governments at this point either. Well, yeah, I agree with you. But the thing about nullification, as Jefferson and Madison so finely point out in their resolutions, nullification can go from the federal government to the state government to the local municipalities to your family to you yourself, the individual soul that is truly free. Because government has no rights. Government is a group of people that come together and, quote, unquote, get the consent of the governed to do things. Government has no rights. You, the individual, have that right. You, the, the, the individual, have the doctrine of nullification given to you by Jefferson and Madison. And obviously, they right. were they were stating that doctrine. They were not granting you some doctrine given to you by some magical forefathers. They were stating this doctrine and repeating it in a beautiful way from people like Locke and Hume that you, the individual, have the sole governance over your soul at the end of the day. And... Right. So I agree with you about the secession thing. I'm not, I'm not advocating it, but as things get, as things ramp up and we see people at the, at each other's throats more and more and more and more, I think that secession and maybe, you know, at least talking about secession would be a positive thing because I I do see that as a more peaceful means. I I would just, I would be, I would hate to see a civil war in this country between two political parties that just can't see eye to eye. I mean, that right. would just be so much blood and needless blood between people who call themselves Americans, who live beside each other. That would just be, I mean, that'd be heartbreaking. It really would. And secession what? could be a peaceful means for people who do not see eye to eye to break apart. Now, like I said, I'm not advocating that, but it is something that needs to be talked about. I, I'll absolutely advocate it because I think that's one of the only paths forward. I mean, going back to your question on if we can reconcile anything, like I said, I really don't think there's any reconciliation to be had at this point. I really think secession is the most obvious and peaceful way forward. And it was from the founding. Yeah. That's why the states came into a voluntary confederation and union, because they knew that the states would have the ultimate power to nullify or secede from any type of government, federal government they didn't consent to. Yes, I, I agree with you that that right is absolutely guaranteed by the implicity of the founding of our country, if you read our historical documents. And secession and states' rights and nullifications 
largely swept under the rug in our in our history classes and our news media it never gets talked about and it is something i got i'm saying i'm not advocating it as in i'm not gonna come up here and say rah rah we need to secede because i think that we can well, have a conversation you know what i'm saying i yeah but i'm saying that it needs to be brought up and we need to have a logical and intellectual discussion about things like secession and, and things of that nature maybe that are not correct and maybe we come to the conclusion this is not good yeah but, when but things it's at get, least in the conversation. Correct. We can have an intellectual discussion about it. And the only reason they don't want to have an intellectual discussion about it is because they have no answer to it. Right. Because if you look at the founding documents of our country, implicitly, implicitly, the states that join the Union can leave the Union. Right. And, and basically, explicitly, when you look at the writers who penned the document, talking about the document, explicitly, right. you could say that that is your right as a state. Right. I mean, that's why the states themselves, they had individual uh, uh, conventions for constitutional ratification. Even in the, all the founding documents, the states were always referred to as individual states. It wasn't the United States. It's, um, you know, it was used in a plural manner. Correct, yeah. And that was uh, pretty explicative when they, when they did that. That was what they were trying to do. I mean, it's really... Like I said, the only reason why it's not debated is because it's not debatable. And right. and we don't even have that conversation and I kinda you know, we kinda wanted to bring that up because it might be the most peaceful means forward. As heartbreaking as it might be to some who want to see this country stay together. I'm tired of seeing people at each other's throats, killing each other in the street, hating absolutely hating their neighbor. There's so much hate. So much hate between people, man. I get you can't even go around without hearing a political discussion that's so uneducated, so binary, and so hateful from either side nowadays. I can't get a whole day without it. It makes me want to throw up in my mouth because these people are advocating for things that they do not understand. Yeah, well, I know. Like I've talked about with you, I've essentially stopped watching sports at this point. I mean, I used to get up an hour early before school every morning so I could watch highlights from Sports Center. I'd watch close to 100 baseball games every year on TV, but at this point, I don't think I've watched a game this season just that because I'm so tired of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I've got a couple teams I still follow, but yeah, I, I don't enjoy it nearly as much as I used to, and it's mainly because of the binary politics that have entered the realm of sports. And it's, right. it drives me nuts, man. Like I said, I'm going to heart back on it. There's just there's so much hate on both sides because people cannot, like me and you are having right now, have a a logical, intellectual discussion about something and bounce ideas off each other and say, hey, maybe this would work. And then we talk about it and say, well, maybe it wouldn't work. And and people who are like, their minds can be a little malleable. Like, it's good to have principles, but you can change your mind when, when given new evidence on different subjects. I used to be, this is embarrassing, but I used to, I used to be a complete climate change denier. I did not believe that climate change, like the climate was being altered by human production in any way and, and right. you know i have an engineering background and I, I kind of look at some documents i look at some studies and i say well this is these people probably don't have an agenda like these people who are writing this probably don't have an agenda and they are all pretty much in consensus i still have some yeah. skepticism about it you know natural healthy skepticism about anything because that's how yeah. i'm wired i'm kind of miserable like that but i kind of started change my mind and reading for myself and saying hey Maybe, maybe, maybe I was wrong about that. And I, I think, and I'm not exalting myself because I can be, I can be binary if I don't watch myself and I can start thinking one thing and think everybody else is wrong. But 
I think that's an important aspect that we've lost in this country is like civil discourse and critical thought. Right. That that innate tribal nature that people have, I think, drives a lot of the, the part of blind partisanship. Yeah, I like we. Yeah. Like we said in that first episode, if people would just start thinking for themselves just a little bit, question what they're being told just a little bit from both sides, I think we get we get a lot further than we are. Yeah, I'm glad you added the from both sides in there because the Trump the Trump Republicans. I'm not trying to call them out, but the Trump Republicans are probably saying, "Yeah, yeah, the left should think for themselves." And and I would like to turn that around and say, "You guys should think for yourselves too." Donald Trump lied constantly flip-flopped on issues never admitted to flip-flopping and just screamed f you to a reporter who questioned him on it and i understand the malice towards reporters like they've been like i said journal journalists have been one-sided and not held anybody to the screws that have messed up in a big way like cuomo and fauci and biden i do understand that but donald trump has largely been a narcissist who's lied on a lot of issues he really hasn't done nearly as good as people have said he's done and and we just have people on the right who will follow anything he says to the death, and, and then they'll they'll accuse the left of being cheap. And I, I I'm not I don't necessarily I don't necessarily understand that. Yeah, trying to get it back to you know the point of this this podcast, COVID. Um, Trump could have done a lot better with COVID itself. Talking about things he didn't do well. But he flip-flop on what he wanted to do. He never had a clear message all the way through till the end of this past year. You know, I don't think he came out strongly against lockdowns until it started affecting his poll numbers because the economy was so bad, uh, getting close to November. Like, so that's just one part of Trump's presidency where he he didn't he wasn't a specialist on it. He didn't know anything about it. He wouldn't read numbers. He wouldn't check charts. So he's it's hard for him to defend the anti-lockdown position when he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yes, correct, and and I which could is under- something Ron DeSantis has been good about. Yeah, I was, I was is knowing the charts, the numbers, that. and be able to defend what he's going to do. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. DeSantis has been pretty pretty solid, reading for himself, understanding what he's reading and what he doesn't understand. He asks, "How hard is that?" Right. Like I'm perfectly yeah. happy to ask somebody that's smarter than me, and I can acknowledge you're smarter than me. And DeSantis is too. Donald Trump largely didn't do that. He surrounded himself with his family that really has no formal education on any of the matters that are pertinent to what he's doing with his job, which, mind you, is the most important job in the world. And he surrounds himself with his family members and with people like Steve Bannon and John Bolton and Jeff Sessions. And it's, yeah, I agree with you, man. A a disappointment. I'm not going to harp on Trump. Like I said, he did some good things, but he was... I, in my opinion, he was bad about the lockdowns. Yeah. And DeSantis was and great. I don't want people to... Yeah. DeSantis did did very well. Enough that I'd probably uh, consider voting for him if he ran in 2024. Absolutely. Just Unless on that Dave alone. Smith runs. If um, Dave Smith runs, I'll be out campaigning in the streets for him. Yeah. But what were you saying? I'm but sorry. I don't want people to think... I don't want people to think that we we harp on Trump just because we hate him, especially over you know Bush or Biden or Obama or Clinton or whoever. I think a lot of it is because we come from a more conservative Republican side, and that's what we we're engrossed in culturally and in our family life and whatever else. We hear it a lot more, so I guess it's more natural for us to. I think we're both like you said, somebody people who question what we're being told all the time. So it's more natural for us to fight back on that side, but. Well, we'll get into it more in later episodes, but I don't know. 
Yeah, I agree. I That's important to point out. We're not. Yeah, we're not. We're not Trump haters. Like we're. That's not right. what we do. Like I said, this this podcast, and this is like I said last episode. This is just kind of funny for me to say is a non-binary podcast. We don't we don't think <laughs> one side or the other. Like I dislike Joe Biden. I also did not necessarily do- like Donald Trump. I like Donald Trump better for my own personal reasons, but the line's yeah. not great on that. And we're allowed to think that, and we're going to tell you why we think that, and maybe hopefully open your mind to new possibilities that are not completely binary or completely two-sided in nature. Right. Yeah. And the, uh, the I'm sorry. The lesser of two evils, two evil uh, choice that people see in the presidential elections is what I want people to start changing their minds about as well. Oh yeah, um, I agree with you. That that. The lesser of two evils, and I can't stand hearing it. I can't stand that argument. Yeah. Has got to stop. That is why we're in the place that we're in. Just the apathy, the apathy to the evilness and the the lack of understanding of issues and and the I don't know the intellectual incapability of both sides. And we just say, well, I'm just going to vote along the party lines my family did just because. And, and that apathy is largely why third parties can gain no traction even when they have an excellent candidate running. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you. That, that, that mindset needs to stop in this country. It's largely destroyed our country. And the founders, who the Republicans worship as demigods, warned us multiple times against getting part of, got caught up in this partisan hack job contest between two parties who are at each other's throats to push their own political ideology down each other's uh, minds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Because I'm sorry. If somebody looks at this past year and doesn't realize the Democrats and Republicans are all confident evil people. I don't. I don't know what else is going to do it. Um, because if you're choosing the lesser of two evils, that means the one you're choosing is evil. And the high brass in both the Democratic and Republican Party are largely evil people. Yeah. And the rest of them are just incompetent. Exactly. But by, by way of you saying the lesser of two evils, you are clearly admitting that you're choosing an evil to rule your lives, to right. rule your children's lives, to rule, if you have grandchildren, your grandchildren's lives, your neighbor's lives. And another thing that I, we can hit on, and we can end this thing, we're getting getting kind of long, but uh, yeah. I'm speaking directly here to Christians. When I say, I hear a lot of Christians who say, you need to vote your religious beliefs. And I cannot push back on that hard enough. I do not believe that. I do not believe that is a viable way to vote as a Christian. Let me tell you why. I just got done reading a masterpiece about the progressive era by Murray Rothbard. And he clearly and logically shows how the pious Free Will Baptist and Southern Baptist Christianity and the Protestant Episcopalians largely pushed their religious dogma down people's throats for 30 or 40 years. And then when people started realizing, or the intellectuals from Harvard and Columbia and places like that started shaking off the religious dogma, they kept the the ideological dogma. And then they turned that around on these same Christians and used that federal government that the Christian Protestant population had given to that Republican Party of the 40 years between the 1890s and 1930s and they largely shoved secular anti-god big federal government policies right down the christians throats and we're seeing a just a huge ramp in that and and christians they're not losing their religious rights as we speak right now there's no time there's no reason to go sound the alarms right now but slowly but surely it's coming down the pipeline and 
the Christians only have their forefathers and the religious faith to thank because it is clearly stated by multiple authors, multiple historians that the Protestants and the Episcopalians and the larger Christian population used big federal government to shove their religious ideologies on people's throats. And I, I, I just wish that Christians would understand that you, you don't vote your religious beliefs on others because as soon as a 51% majority has that power over you, they're going to vote either A, their anti-religious beliefs on you, or B, their non, they're other than your religious beliefs on you. And you're right. most certainly not going to like that. And that is tyranny, which obviously, as I clearly stated, Christians did to others for 50 plus years. Right. I mean, we're both Christians, so a lot of their, their pet projects are, I'm sure, is stuff we agreed with. But like you said, it, this democratic process is a fickle thing. Just as soon as you have power, you can as easily lose it. And those people that gain the power uh, after you are going to have their own pet projects that are probably going to go against what you want. Yes, explicitly that might be god Right. Yeah, I mean, why that would might they just not? be an indictment of government in general. But. Correct, yeah, I, I would say. But we can go down that yeah. road at a later podcast. But I'm really trying to yeah. reach people who believe in the political process. I mean, I, as I do, I think we've got a decent system to believe in in this process, but are also Christians and say, hey, we're going to vote for every pro-Christian policy that somebody puts up. Well, a pro-Christian policy might set a precedent for somebody who is so anti-God and anti-your religion and your religious beliefs that they're going to turn that federal power you gave the previous leader that you gave it to to force your political belief, I mean, your religious beliefs on others, and they're going to turn that around on you and send it right back down the pipeline in an even harsher, tyrannical way. And I can't get that point right. across just, enough. Yeah, just principally, I'm against using government uh, force to enforce things I want, but even if you're looking at it from a pragmatic nature and you don't care about the principles, it's, it's not going to work out for you in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really largely talking to, like, our statist Christian friends. Uh, who right. Explicitly say friends because we want everybody to listen to this podcast and shoot us what you're thinking about it, and we can have a little discourse, but I'm largely speaking to them that, yeah, yeah like you said, pragmatically, it does not make sense. Like, obviously, me and you wouldn't agree with it in nature at all. But pragmatically, if you are okay with statist action, it's not going to make sense when 51% can rule 49 and you're on the opposite end of that 51. Right. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of one more thing I really wanted to say because that, that bothers me in the modern Christian yeah. movement. I, I really I can't push back on that hard enough. Yeah. But, uh, and I think we'd like to get on get in deeper on that on later episodes. Oh, for sure. And, but I know and, we're, we're, we're running short on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree with you. In this podcast, we're going to talk about a bunch of bunch of things that maybe you're interested in, maybe not. Shoot us some suggestions if you're yeah. listening. But um, definitely religion's yeah. a big one because it's, it's at the very fabric of our being and the very fabric of our society, like it or not. And it's definitely something worth yeah. talking about. But, yeah, I think yeah. – I think we've covered it. Uh, maybe we've really indicted the Corona brews on their horrible policies and tyrannical nature that they've ruled with in the last year. I don't know. That's up for the yep. jury, aka the listeners to decide, but it's been a good one, Blake. Um, appreciate you I getting agree. on and talking to the people. Like I said, you're the most brilliant man Thanks. I know. And well, uh, I'm I just going to leave. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave the people with, uh, with one quote from one of our greatest founders, Thomas Jefferson, the man who largely has saved us to some extent from the larger snowball falling on us by giving us some, some necessary protections in our founding documents. And Thomas Jefferson said, 
power is not alluring to pure minds. And I, I think that really sums up every political problem we're having this day and age. Every politician. Yep. And thank you guys for listening. It's been awesome. We hope you guys come back. We're just trying to spread freedom. We're trying to spread love. We're trying to spread human flourishing to everybody who can come within our earshot of us, man. And uh, we really appreciate you guys listening. Like I said, Blake, it's been a banger. And peace out. Keep fighting for your liberty. Keep living as an individual soul. And keep loving your neighbor. Yep, see ya.